And I want, all right, I want you to notice in Proverbs 27, verse 5, look what it says there. It says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What I want to talk about this morning, uh, kind of in honor of Father's Day, I usually like to preach at the men on Father's Day. So ladies, you just can enjoy this and uh, you know, say amen. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I like to preach to the men. I, I really gave it to the ladies on Mother's Day. And so I want to give it to the guys today. But the title of my message today is Being Man Enough to Handle Rebuke. Okay? Now, I don't think there's any doubt that we have a very serious manhood problem in our country today. And especially my generation. All right, And you know, there is a big difference. And I think all the older people in here will agree in the men of today versus the men of your day. All right. Clearly a big difference. And we are, we're becoming more and more effeminate. And literally, in some cases, guys are becoming feminine. I mean, they're going and you got all these transgenders. I saw a guy two weeks ago, right out there by the school, a man with a long beard. All right? It didn't look like somebody that would do it. He was wearing a skirt. I mean, right across the street here from our church, a man wearing a full-blown skirt. All right, Not a kilt, which is an Irish skirt or a Scottish skirt. A full-blown skirt. It, and it was weird. The rest of them looked pretty masculine. But he's wearing a skirt. And then he's got, there's two guys out there that are, are normal-looking men, probably in their 50s or 60s. They didn't look like the kind of guys that would pick up a guy wearing a skirt. They looked up like the kind of guys that would beat up a guy in a skirt. And they picked up the guy in his car and they all drove off like everything's normal. I'm thinking, the guy was wearing a skirt. All right, this isn't the city, folks. All right, this is you know this is Rock Falls. This is rural country. All right, guys aren't supposed to wear skirts out here. All right, we should still be shocked by that, weirded out by that, and it, and just nothing was fitting any of the stereotypes. I don't know what happened. I'm just going to hope for the best and hope the guy lost a bet and those guys are just coming to collect or something. I don't know. That's all. That, that, I, I like to think the best of everything. But anyway, it, it's it's bad. It's getting out of control. But you know, what? not only is it bad in the sense. That, you know, guys are becoming, you know, effeminate. You know, you got, you know, men today wearing queerings and, you know, all the feminine jewelry and things like that. You know, just enough to make you sick. But, you know, one thing that just got men cannot handle today. I'm talking about grown men. They don't know how to handle rebuke. They, they can't handle it. And that's why a lot of churches are going to this soft, effeminate, just, you know, easy preaching you know, no, no hard stuff. I mean, you know, even the Ten Commandments, you know, it can't be thou shalt not anymore. It's just, you know, do not, you know, thou shalt not just sounds too forceful. All right. You know, do not's a little better, but they're always trying to ease up, make things easy. And if a preacher ever dares get up and call anything a sin, if I mean, you go to any of these churches, if a pastor ever dares just mention the fact that something like homosexuality is a sin before you can finish the sentence of homosexuality is a sin. But we're all sinners. We're all sinners. All right. You know, it's like they got to throw that in there because they're just terrified that, you know, because it's like we have to call it a sin, but they're, they're terrified of it and they can't, they, they can't handle it because they're going to lose half their congregation because this generation does not know how to handle rebuke. They can't handle somebody telling them you are wrong. Your position is wrong. Your doctrine is wrong. The way you are living is wrong. And people get offended by that. And they think, how dare you judge me? Because everybody knows the two words everybody's got memorized from the Bible is judge not. You know, they all know that verse. Judge not. 
Judge not. You know, they, they all say that. They never want to read the whole passage to see that it's talking about hypocritical judgment. But you know what? I'll judge you all day long if you're a guy and you're wearing a skirt. And I'm not being a hypocrite because you'll never find me in a skirt. Alright? And if you do, it's probably because I'm, I'm dead. Alright? You know, it's, it, it, that, that's the only way it's going to happen. But look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. You know, so what are we going to do? Alright, dads, it's Father's Day. Okay? You know, I've got two boys. I don't want to raise a millennial snowflake. Alright? And I, I have people keep telling me, you know, we're not supposed to call people snowflakes. I think it's just an appropriate term for this generation. I mean, they just melt at any little thing. I mean, they're as weak as a snowflake. They're as dainty as a snowflake. They, they literally, they can't survive anything. They, just, they, can't handle, they, they can't handle anything. And I'm, I'm going to keep calling people snowflakes, alright? And if people get offended by that, well, it's a good way to keep guys in skirts away from me, alright? You know, and I don't have to worry about dealing with that kind of stuff. But Proverbs 13.1 what are we going to do to avoid this? It says in Proverbs 13, 1, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Okay, Fathers, we need to understand it's our job to instruct our sons. And understand that part of instructing them is often, there's often going to be rebuke involved. Okay, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction driveth it far from him. Parents, we have to rebuke our children. I don't care what the psychiatrists tell you. You know, I don't care about all these little psychological things that they come up with, you know, on how to, you know, deal with your kids and how to just uh, approach them so you don't ever give them any type of traumatic experience. Sometimes we need a traumatic experience. I don't know if you all realize this, but there's full, there, this world is full of things that can traumatize us. There is pain. There is a lot of suffering that can happen, especially if you're stupid. And so we see that what we're supposed to do, we sometimes need to rebuke. We've got to, we've got to train. We've got to teach. We've got to instruct. So worse things don't happen to them. And instruction, that is a job of a parent. And, uh, but the Bible says a scorner heareth not rebuke. A scorner can't handle somebody telling them that they're wrong. They're not going to listen to it. And you know what? I do not want my sons to grow up to be one of these scorners that just scorn at everything, that just scoff at everything. I don't want them to grow up and be one of these men that go into a church and as soon as a preacher goes and pounces on one of their sins, you know, they're going to walk out because they can't handle it and they're going to go down to the coffee shop, Chuck E. Cheese, church, you know, everybody's great, everybody's wonderful, everybody's going to heaven. I, I, that's, that's the last thing I want them getting involved in. So you know what? I'm going to figure out how to make them here rebuke. I'm going to figure out how to train them and instruct them. Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We've got to understand that instruction is more than just us telling them what to do. Okay? It involves training. Okay? Any, anybody here who's worked any type of job where I work out at the factory, whenever they train people, one of the things that they do the first things they do to train you on the job is they have you follow a trainer around and you watch him do the work. They go and I, they, it's, it's real boring. You know, my job that I do out there, it takes no brains at all. It takes about 10 minutes to learn. But you do, you're supposed to spend like a whole day just following the trainer around and watching how they do everything. They're going to show you how it's done. That's part of training. And then you're going to do it. And then they watch you for several days. They watch you do the work 
and they instruct you as you go through the work. They often have to tell you, hey, don't do this. If you do this, this is going to happen. And they warn you about all these different possibilities and scenarios. And they train you. And training often involves them telling you, hey, you're doing that wrong. Hey, don't do this. And you know what? We live in a world today where everybody's so lazy about everything, even parents. Okay? you got a lot of fathers today. They're going to be celebrating Father's Day that all they've ever done is just, you know, got a woman pregnant. They've never actually been a father. They never actually trained their children. They never actually disciplined their children. They've never spent the time to actually not just instruct them, but show them how something's done and let them watch. Your, your boys, they need to see you work. They need to watch you be a husband and be a good husband. They need to, they need to watch what you do because that's the best training there is. And the Bible says, if we'll train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. It can't just be you telling him what to do. We can't, you can't be one of these parents that you know, are do as I say and not as I do. These parents that want to go and they want to tell their children they shouldn't drink alcohol, they shouldn't smoke cigarettes, but then they're doing it in front of their kids at home all the time. That's not training. And we need to understand that instruction, all right, part of what part of that it involves training, and that means you doing it, you showing them how it's done, but then you also taking the time to watch them do it. I've noticed some parents too, even with little kids, and we've never been this way with our kids. I think part of it was because we had our first three so close together and so young, but a lot of parents they're so lazy in their approach to everything that it's like they would. It's, sometimes it's easier today to do something for your kids than to spend the time training them how to do it. But the truth is, if we'll actually take the time to train them, eventually it will save us some work, won't it? But some parents, they, they don't train their kids in anything. They just do every little thing for them. They don't train them how to clean up. They don't train them how to keep house and how to cook meals and how to do all those things. I thought it was a great day when my boys learned how to mow the grass. But I had to take some time to you know, train and instruct and watch and observe. I couldn't just send them out there and let them do it. And while it took a little bit of extra work, you know, at first, in the long run, it saved me some work. And unfortunately, many parents are not doing that today. But we've got to do that. We've got to train them. We've got to correct them when they're wrong. Proverbs 23.13 says, Withhold not correction from the child. Y'all see that? Withhold not correction from the child. Well, how do we correct them? Well, look at what the next part says, alright? Now, don't get freaked out by this. Don't get, this is Bible right here. This is how we correct them. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod. And shalt deliver his soul from hell. Oh man, we're not supposed to beat our kids. The Bible just said to. Alright, now listen. Alright. There is a difference. I, I don't believe we ought to abuse our children, alright? You know, Dad, don't go punch your kid in the nose because he messed up. That's what God created the backside for. It can take a beating and it hurts and it doesn't do any permanent damage. Alright? Trust me. Alright, I'm in good health. I'm doing just fine. And let me tell you, my behind was wore out many times growing up. And it didn't do any permanent damage, alright? I still get a little scared. I told y'all, my mom used to beat me with a brush. Just a couple years ago, I walked in and she still has that same brush. And I saw it in the, sitting in the bathroom. And I got nervous when I saw it. And I started behaving uh, myself when I saw that, you know? I, I, I'm still that well trained, you know? And I remember the snap of the belt. My dad would do that sometimes. He'd like snap the belt when he was getting ready to spank me. And I was like, you know, it, it, 
It's just it's part of training. And it works. And you know, there's still some stuff. There's still things today, if I get tempted to do it, I'm reminded of the spankings that I got. I still remember those things. I still feel I still feel a few of them. I, I, I still do. There's some that, that I, 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 really, I seriously, I can still feel. I remember the pain that vividly. But you know what? It kept me out of a lot of trouble. And what does it say here? It says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Do you ever wonder why is it that people are doing the foolish things that they do, the painful things that they do themselves? These people who pierce themselves all over the place, that cover themselves with tattoos. I guarantee you go talk to most of these people. I'll bet many of them, their parents abuse them. But I'll bet there weren't many whose parents spanked them in a biblical way, who beat them, who instructed them, who trained them like the Bible teaches. All right? It is. It's lazy. It's lazy for you to just go and just, if your kid's getting out of line, to just backhand your kid. That's not how it works. You've got to take the time to talk to them and to train them and instruct them and then make them bend over and take their spanking. That's, that's part of it. You know, you can't, you can't just be fighting them all the time. They've got to learn to take their punishment. Okay? It's not something that you just force on them where sometimes you do have to force it. But eventually, I think it's important too in spanking the kids, and I've had to experience this many times with mine, where I've got to spank them until they're willing to take a spanking. Why would you do that? Because they've got to learn to submit to punishment. Because when we do wrong, there's consequences. And I don't care how much psychology you want to teach your kids, I don't care how many of these books you read, in real life, there's consequences when we do wrong. There is consequences when we sin. I would rather spank my kid right now than have a cop tasing them later or shooting them later. That's what a lot of people are getting. I would rather spank my kid right now than have him spending the night in the jail. That's what I would rather do. I would rather beat his backside with a rod than have him to grow up to be some deadbeat who gets thrown in the slammer for a month and now he's not able to take care of his girlfriend and kids. You know, or wife and kids. Because he has, you know, just no character. No, you know, because I failed to train him. I failed to do what God said. And you have these parents too. Well, I can't do that. I just love them too much. No, you don't. You do not. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son of me receiveth. We'll see some verses on that in a little bit. The Bible says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. Parents who will not train their kids, who will not spank their kids, who will not rebuke their kids, do not love their children. Alright, and I'll expound on that more here in a little bit. Don't get freaked out by that. It's just true. Alright, and I'll prove it to you from the Bible. But they, they've got to understand that. And we, we should not abuse our children. I do not believe in child abuse. I think child abuse is a horrible thing. I think it is a wicked thing. And I personally believe not spanking your child is child abuse. And not training your child is child abuse. Proverbs 13.24 He that spared this rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. Meaning early. I think you ought to start spanking him early. And you say, how, how is that? I don't hate my children. Okay, and when, and when we say hate, we often think of a bad feeling that comes over. You know, all right? Now, we all have those things that we just, things we see that we hate, that we loathe. All right? That we, you know, that we abominate. You know? 
Uh, the other day I bought a burrito again from McDonald's and I took a bite of it. And once again, they put cheese on it like they were not supposed to. And I looked and it just, dude, you know, you, you get the shivers, all right? Now, nobody looks at their children like that. But that, that's what we think of when we think of hate. But y'all realize that hate, it's, it's not just a feeling, it's action, all right? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. When the Bible talks about God's love for the world, it always mentions what He did for the world. He sent His Son. Alright? You know, here it is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When the Bible talks about God's love for the world and for sinful man, it's never saying, man, God just looked on at us and He just got this warm, fuzzy feeling because we're just so great. No, it's talking about what God actually did for us. And understand, a parent who withholds correction from their child, who spares the rod, that parent's not necessarily looking at that you know, child and thinking, man, I just hate you so much, I'm not going to spank you. All right? But understand, what that parent is doing to that child by not disciplining to them is horrible. What God did for us was wonderful. It's what... Say, it's, it's what Bring salvation to us. But a parent who is withholding correction from their child is doing irreversible damage. It is horrible what they are doing. You are doing a horrible thing to your child. Just like these parents who act like they love their kids and they have great feelings for their kids. And then they come to mom and dad and they're like, you know, mom, can I go out with this boy that's a dirt bag? Oh, well, I love my kids too much to tell them no. No, you don't. You hate your child. You're going to let... Your daughter, go out with that bum that's going to do who knows what to her. You don't love your daughter. You know what? You love yourself. You don't want to have to deal with the fight. You don't want to have to put up with the drama. You don't want to have to deal with the challenge. You are hurting your child by letting them do whatever they want. You're hurting them by letting them dress however they want. And you've got these other parents too. They love their children so much. I mean, they literally let them do whatever they want, eat whatever they want, and they've got these... Poor little fat blobs that can't do anything, not capable of anything physical. They sit around, they play video games all day, they eat junk food all day, and they're just not capable of doing anything. That's child abuse right there. Those kids aren't getting spanked. Those kids are getting everything they ever asked for. They give them every video game they ever want. I went to a home one time. This kid had rode on a bus route and I was at my dad's church. And the mom wanted to talk to me because she believed her son was demon-possessed. And she wanted us to, you know, she was kind of wanting us to come over there and maybe pray the devil out of her son. And, you know, and the kid came on the bus a couple times like, you know, this kid doesn't act like he's demon possessed or anything. But he was, a, you know, it was very obvious just from looking at him. He was a lazy doughboy gamer, as I like to call him. All right. And we went into his, we went into their house to go talk with him. This kid, he had a PlayStation. He had an Xbox. He had a Nintendo he had a, he had two Nintendo DSs, all right? I remember, you know, my boys were one one at the time. They're expensive. She had one son and he had two Nintendo DSs. Why? I have no idea. There were video games all over the house. I mean, video game, I'm seeing video games everywhere. Entertainment systems everywhere. He, she, they had this big bookcase filled with DVDs. And I told the mom, I said, you know what's wrong with your kid? He plays too many video games. He watches too much TV. Any kid that sits around eating junk food, just filling their head with that junk all day long, is going to have issues. So you know, your kid, he needs to go play outside. You're, you're spoiling the kid rotten. 
She's given them everything she wants. And what did it produce? It produced what she thought was a demon-possessed kid. And that's exactly what that would produce. You're not going to help your child by just planting him in front of a television 24-7, stuffing his face with Twinkies and ding-dongs and ho-hos and, you know, because he won't eat anything green. You're not going to help him one bit by that. You're going to mess up his health. Look, I went, I just finished going 60 days without caffeine. All right. 60 days without caffeine. And in celebration, I drank a monster energy drink. All right. And let me tell you, I had nightmares that night. All right. I had, I had messed up nightmares, you know, cause I'm telling you certain things, it, it'll certain food and different things that are bad for you. It'll, it'll mess with you mentally. I've been sleeping great. I had messed up nightmares after just one thing of caffeine. And I think part of it was 60 days, no caffeine. And I, I, I OD'd uh, <laughs> after that. But um, yeah, parents, are they, they, they wonder why their kids have all these issues. Well, you know what? Stop giving them Mountain Dew right before they go to bed. You know, I can't figure out why my kid wets the bed. You know, well, he's sitting there with a bottle of Mountain Dew right next to his bed. You know, just, you know, teach them some discipline. Make them eat some green vegetables. You know, stop giving them every little thing they want. That is child abuse. That's child abuse doing that. Make them go outside and do some things and be active. These are important. But, no, I, I can't do anything. I, I, I never would want to hurt, you know, little Lord Fauntleroy ever. You know, I, I, I'm going to give him everything he wants. You know, I had a rough childhood growing up because my parents did spank me. And, you know, I, I had things hard. And I, I don't want him to ever face any challenges in life. Well, look at what that's producing in our country. It's disgusting and it's a mess. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5. See, one thing we need, we need to surround ourselves with friends who love us enough to rebuke us. We read this verse at the beginning, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know what your problem is? You go, you, you don't want to listen to what your pastor has to say. You don't want to listen to a pastor get up and rip your face off and tell you how wicked you are and tell you how you need to change. You know what you want to do? You want to go pay some law psychiatrist to go sit, you know, so you can go sit on their couch and they can tell you what a victim you are and they can tell you just how nothing's your fault and all that's wrong with you is you just need some meds. Now go get up this prescription, get this prescription filled and I'll get a kickback from the pharmaceutical company. And then, you know, and you go and don't even understand that the one who really loves you is the one that's telling you the truth. The one that's willing to rebuke you and that other person is just making merchandise out of you. They just want your money. They don't know you. They don't care about you. They just want it. They put everybody on meds. I, I mean, I, I don't take any meds for anything, but I'm half tempted sometimes to just go to psychiatrists just to see what they'll want to try to prescribe me. I'm not going to take it. That's a good idea. I should do that sometime just to prove these people are nothing but a bunch of drug dealers with degrees. All right. They're drug dealers with degrees. They're drug dealers that wear white coats instead of baggy pants. That's the only difference between them. What they do is legal. What the baggy pants drug dealers do is illegal. That's the, only, that's the only difference between these people. And you don't think so, do it. You pay for me to go visit a psychiatrist and I guarantee you I'll walk out of there with a prescription, alright? I won't even have to act crazy. And I'll bet I'll walk out of there with a prescription. You know, I'll talk about how hard it is, you know, pastor in a church and no, nobody wants to listen to my preaching. Nobody wants to do everything I'm telling them to do. And, you know, I, I don't get enough appreciation and blah, blah, blah. And I guarantee you they'll pump me full of Prozac or Valium or something like that. It's what they do. 
It's why they are there. And it makes good money. And if I don't start making more money, I might get tempted to go into that field. You know, and then, and then I'll, I'll write a book about it. No, I wouldn't do that. But anyway, we, but we, need, we need to surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth. We need to be challenged. Okay? Sometimes the preaching is just meant to challenge you. Hey, why don't you try doing a little more? Why don't you try accomplishing something? And you know what? We, our children, we need to challenge our children. We need, you know, let them get involved in sports. Let them get involved in a competition and preferably one where not everybody gets a trophy. All right? Preferably one where there's winners and losers. All right? That is what we need to do. We need to let them experience the thrill of victory, but we also need to let them experience the agony of defeat. But nobody wants to do that today. They go and these parents... I mean, parents are so pathetic today that many towns, they've had to can't, they, they can't do Easter egg hunts anymore. Because the parents, they can't just send their kid out there and they can't let their little fat kid that doesn't know how to run not get as many Easter eggs as the other kids. And so what do they do? They've got to go out there and help them. And you know what often happens in these towns? It breaks out into a fight. We hear these stories every year on Easter. Why is it? Because these parents that already know they're sorry parents, they don't want their child to go through the trauma of only getting three Easter eggs when some other kid gets 30. Well, you know what? That's what happens when you're slow. All right? You know, hey, you know, you, sometimes you just got to work a little harder. Sometimes you're going to... That's just life. Okay? The early bird gets the worm. The other one goes hungry. That's, that is just life. That is the way it works. And our children, our children need to understand that. They need to experience that. And maybe, maybe if they want something bad enough, maybe they'll do, they'll do what it takes. Maybe they'll try a little harder. Maybe they'll work a little harder. Maybe they'll actually, you know, if they start sweating or something, they won't pass out, you know, because they've experienced some things before. And Proverbs 27:17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. We need to surround ourselves with people who are better than us and will motivate us. We need people that will sharpen us up. Okay? I, I like having friends. I surround myself with people. And with the, my pastor friends, I've, I surround myself with ones I think are better than me. That are better preachers than me. That are doing more than me. I'm not just going to go and find people that you know, only have smaller churches and aren't as smart, aren't as good looking. You know, just make sure that, that way I can be the superior one. You know? It's like that person, you know, they're, you know they've, they've got to make sure they're, that lady that's got to have all friends that are fatter than she is, you know, so she can always feel skinny. You know, or you've got to have your friends that are all poorer than you so you can always feel rich, you know. And, that, you know, that's foolish. We should surround ourselves with people that are better than us. You know, I don't want to go to that church. You know, those people, they, they think they're better than me. Well, good, that's the church you ought to go to. Maybe some of them will rub off on you. You know, that, that's the way we ought to think. That ought to be... Our, that, that ought to be our mentality. We ought to want to be around those that are better than us. But that's not the mentality today. When I was a kid, you know, when, when I, was, I was nine years old, I started taking guitar lessons. I started taking guitar lessons, and man, I was, I was excelling. I was doing great. I mean, I'm going through fast. I got farther in the lesson books than my, my teacher. Never had anybody else get that far. And she had adults that were teachers. And I did it until I was like 11. But our church was really small then. My dad had just started the church, and I was the only guitar player in the church. And so guess what? I was the best guitar player that I knew. I didn't know anybody that could do what I could do on the guitar. And my dad, man, he built me up and he praised me for how good I was at guitar. I played in church all the time, and I'd get all the compliments and everything. And then my guitar teacher's like, you know what? You've gone as far as I can take, I can take you. 
And uh, I remember I walked out there and I'm, I was like, wow, I'm pretty good. And she recommended this other guitar teacher. So I went to this other guitar teacher and she was mean to me. All right. And she smelled like smoke and I didn't like her. And I remember uh, I remember she chewed me out about something. I forgot what it was. But she, she chewed me out. And I told Dad, you know, what, Dad, I don't like her. I don't want to take lessons there anymore. And I quit taking guitar lessons. And I'm like, you know, I don't need them anyway. I'm, I'm better than anybody else I know. Well, then I got a little older. And I started finding out there was a lot of people that were better than me at the guitar. A lot of people. That there was way more that I could have accomplished and way more that I could have done. But unfortunately, I was surrounded by people that were inferior. And so you know what? Here I am today, 37, 37 years old, and I'm just as good as I was when I was 11. And, you know, it, I, I learned. And you know what? I wish I would have been around people that were better than me. Because then I would, I would have learned from them. It would have encouraged me to keep on going and accelerate and be better. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to want to go to a church where there's people that are better than us. I know we don't like people thinking that they're better. But you know what? I want to go somewhere where I think the people are better than me. And I want, that way they'll challenge me. And maybe some of them will rub off on me. And we, do, we need somebody that will sharpen us up. We need friends that will tell us, hey, you ought to get this out of life. You ought to do this. Hey, you could do this better. People that aren't afraid to rebuke us and tell us when we're wrong. Proverbs 27.17 or um, 27.14. Look, look at this verse. And man, this verse has proven to be true a million times to me. You, you want to know how to freak me out? You want to know how to make me nervous and make me think I can't trust you? You just come to me and you just start complimenting me like crazy before I've even done anything. You'll spook me big time. Look what it says in Proverbs 27, 14. He that blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. I remember, I, I, I remember studying this verse right before we started this church. I said that verse and I, I didn't totally get it. He that blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. I believe what that's talking about is if you have somebody that's praising you before you've even done anything, okay, it's going to be a curse. You know why they're praising you like that before you've even done anything? They want something from you. And I remember within the first month of us starting this church, I'm up there, we're, we're doing prayer requests and praise, and a lady sitting right over there where Brother John's at, she raises her hand and she just said, I just want to praise the Lord for you. And she just started lifting me up. And I remember that verse popped in my head. And I thought, please don't, be, don't let that be true. I, I, I didn't want to believe. I didn't want to, but I, as, soon as, I, as soon as she lifted that praise on me, I just want to praise you. I got real nervous, you know. And let me, let me tell you, it was only a short time later. I was the worst pastor ever. I, I was getting cussed at through text and just telling me all these terrible things about me. And I remember I thought back to that day when she was praising me early in the morning. And you know what it was? It was a curse. People that do that, they just want some. These people that come along and they're just, I mean, just heaping praise on you. And you, you're like, what are you even talking about? I haven't even done anything. You know what? They just want something from you. All right. And then some of these clowns too that you know, watch uh, on YouTube and stuff, they watch the sermons. Every once in a while, there'll be somebody that gets on there and they just start heaping praise on me through the comments and things on YouTube. And it's like, you know, I just found your cha- channel. You're the greatest preacher in the world and all, all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
no, I'm not. <laughs> I was like, you know, hey, I enjoy preaching. I enjoy doing what I do, but I, I'm not the best at anything I do. All right, I'm not trying to be humble right now. I just know it. All right, I learned from when I was nine years old, and that mistake I made, or at eleven years old, I, I, I've learned, and I've seen what's out there. I look at what's out there. And I see that there's a lot out there better than me and I'm trying to improve myself. And so when I hear some of these people saying some of these things, I just get immediately creeped out by them and I don't trust them. And then, those same people, they're always the first ones, as soon as I preach something I don't like, I'm just the worst preacher in the world. You know, and they're, they're wanting to bash me on there. It's like, you people are so predictable. It's called Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14. And you know what? We live in a world today where everybody wants the compliments. You know, we ought to be freaked out by compliments. We shouldn't want praise, that especially praise that we don't deserve. That's a curse to us. And these people, they just want something from us. And so that person who praises you before you've done anything, just mark it down. They want something from you. But the person who will rebuke you, okay, the person who will rebuke you at the risk of maybe losing your friendship because you're a millennial snowflake, that person that will rebuke you, you know what? They want something for you. That, that pastor that gets up there and just tells you you're all going to heaven and you're all just great and sweet and wonderful, he wants something from you. He wants your money. That, that's what he wants. He wants you to help make him look good. But that preacher that will get up and tell you how just low down and how sorry you are and he'll preach in your sins and he'll name your sins and they'll maybe even sometimes come to you and call, call you out for it, he wants something for you. He wants something good for you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be better. So he's not going to get up there, you know, heaping a bunch of praise on you. He's going to rebuke you. That's what a friend does. And so look what it says. Go to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So you know what we ought to do? We ought to raise our children, dads, in a church where a pastor is not afraid to rebuke you. Because you know what? Remember, part of training is we've got to show them how it's done. Well, you know what that means? That means, dads, you need to show your children how to handle rebuke. That means you need to get rebuked every once in a while. You need to go to a church where it's very likely that you will get rebuked. Where it's very likely that you will get your toes stomped on. Where you will get your face ripped off. You, that you need that. You need a pastor that will do that so whenever you're wrong and you get called out, you can show your children how it's done. You want your children to change and get right when they get, when you call them out, but they don't always know how to do it because they've never seen it done. You show them how it's done. Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He said, rebuke, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He, right here, he's predicting the millennial generation. This is the prophetic of the day we're in. Alright, God knew that one of these days there were going to be a bunch of these skinny jean preachers that were going to go out there losing their pulpits of wood and getting their little bistro tables that they're going to preach by. They can just stand there and look like they're having a conversation at a coffee shop. And they'll tell you their little uplifting stories. You know, their little stories to make you feel good. They'll tell you your little fables that they read in some book somewhere or they read in, you know, a magazine somewhere to try to make you feel good. And they'll never call you out in a million years. 
And we wonder why that we have all these Chuck E. Cheese coffee shop churches that aren't getting anything done. We wonder why we've got all these churches that there's no way they're going to go out and do confrontational soul winking. You know, the people are too scared. They're, they can't handle getting a door slammed in their face. They can't handle somebody telling them, you're an idiot. Somebody cussing them out. Somebody chewing them out. But you know what? If you go to a good church where there's a pastor that preaches the truth, now you don't get cussed out in church, but you get chewed out all the time. So if you go and you're getting chewed out here every week, and then you go out there and somebody else chews you out, another day at the office, you know? I'm used to it. I grew up in a home where I got chewed out. Hey, there's nothing these people... No, there, nobody's ever going to do anything to you out there any worse than my dad ever did to me growing up. None of them have ever tanned my hide like my dad did growing up. None of them have ever laid a hand on me. And you know what? I, I can take it. And you know what? None of them have ever been as mean too. You know, sometimes parents are mean. Sometimes you really get chewed out. And at least when these people are telling me how horrible I am, I know they're just saying whatever because they don't know me. But it, you know, it's actually worse when somebody who knows you tells you how pathetic you are. So you know, they, they can't do anything. But... You know, if, if we get if we're getting that all the time, we're used to it. We can actually handle some things. Second Timothy or, or Titus, I'm sorry, two eleven. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. God's wanting to change us. God's wanting to make us like Him. We're, and we're looking for the day we're like Him. We're looking for that blessed hope. And look what he says in verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You know what he's saying? He's telling him, hey, rebuke with all authority. You know what you do, you know what you do, Titus? When you preach, you get up there and you tell these people that they shouldn't be doing stuff, that they should be doing other things, and you tell it to them like you're the boss. You do it with all authority. Because the truth is, I'm not the boss, but the things I'm preaching, they come from the Word of God. And you know what? God is the boss. His Word is the final authority. And if I, what I'm preaching is biblical, there's no reason why I shouldn't get up here and just tell it like it is. I shouldn't preach it in a way where I leave you wondering what I just preached about. You know, I shouldn't be preaching on a subject and leave you wondering, I wonder what the pastor's position is on that. Does he think it's a sin? Does he not think it's a sin? It ought to be very clear. And he said to rebuke. And the best way to train your boys, especially on how to handle rebuke, is to show them what to do when you're rebuked. Proverbs 9, 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee, and rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. What does this mean? Well, I don't want my children, I don't want my boys to be the scorner. I want them to be the wise man. Well, what does the Bible say? If you rebuke a wise man, he'll love you. So you know what you teach your kids? Love the guy that's chewing you out. Hey, Dad, why do we go to that church where that preacher yells and he nails our eyes to the wall and he preaches against our sin and he calls us a bunch of sorry, pathetic Christians and all that kind of stuff? Why do we go and we listen and put up with all that stuff? You know why, son? Because that's exactly what we need. And you know what? Thank God for a man that will tell us what we need in this wicked world that we live in where we're constantly being pressured to go the way of the world and to follow wickedness. We've got a place to go where we're encouraged to go the other direction. And you know what? Thank God. And you know what? I'm not trying to heap love for myself, all right? But at the same time, 
If I'm preaching the truth, if I am rebuking you, if you're wise, you'll love me for that. And that's and and you'll and those of you in the church, if we have issues and somebody else in the church gets on you for something, you ought to love the people that will do that. And look what else it says. You know, it said that that wise man he'll become wiser. You know what that means? Because not only did he just put up with the chewing out that he got, but you know what he did? He got wiser. He changed. He followed the instruction. He increased in learning. He said, you know what? I, ne- you know, I never noticed that before, but the pastor showed from the Bible, yeah, that's clearly wrong. You know what, kids? We're getting that out of our life. We're getting rid of that. Said, yes, this is the way I've always responded to things, but I see from the Bible, the pastor showed us that this is wrong. You know what? We're not going to do that anymore. And they can actually watch you change your ways for the better. And then maybe if your child has an issue and he's got a problem and you rebuke him and you chasten him and you do all those things, you know what he's probably going to do? He's probably going to do like his dad does and he's going to love you for it. He's going to change his ways. He's going to become wiser. He's going to increase in learning. That is the point of rebuking. And it is. But yeah, if, if you've got a church full of scorners, you're going to, they're, going to, they're going to leave at the sound of this. And I mean, think about all the people we've had come through this church and visit this church, but a lot of people can't take it. You know why? Because they're scorners. And they've, they've never been chewed out in their life and they don't, know, they don't know how to deal with it. And when you get rebuked and you're wrong, you need to change. But, uh, and when you get rebuked, or, or what if you get rebuked and the rebuker is wrong? See now, cause, and this is, this is where, every, if you've got a millennial mentality at all in your mind, alright? This is, as soon as you hear this, yeah, but what if I'm right and he's wrong? Because, you know, we live in America and everybody's right, you know? So what if there's a conflict? What if there's a disagreement between the pastor and a church member? Or what if there's a disagreement, you know, between two friends? And I get rebuked, but I'm right. I know I'm right, and I got rebuked. Now I can act like a snowflake, right? You know, now I can, you know, just melt and fall all to pieces, right? Well, First Peter two twenty one says, "For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth." who when he was reviled, reviled not again when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Do you all understand that when Jesus was being crucified, he didn't deserve any of that. When he was being reviled, he didn't revile back. You know what he did? It says right there, it says... Um, he committed himself to him who judged righteously. You know what that means? All right, you know what that means, Generation Snowflake? All right, let's just say, all right, let's just say that you're right. Let's just say I get up, all right? All right, Lord has made me the pastor of this church. And you know what? God doesn't choose perfect men to be pastors. Sometimes I get stuff wrong. Sometimes I mess things up. All right, so let's just say... He called me to be the pastor, alright? Brother John, he didn't call Brother John to be the pastor of the church. He called me to be the pastor. And let's just say, by some weird possibility, I'm right and John's... Or, or John, John's right and I'm wrong. Alright? Not saying it couldn't happen. Let's just stay for the sake of argument. Alright? That, that it did happen. If John is a real man like Jesus, you know what he will do in that situation? He'll say, you know what? 
I'm going to commit myself unto him that judgeth righteously. I'm not going to go and revile. I'm not going to go fight back. I'm not going to see, have my day in court and see my justice and just prove that I'm right and he's wrong. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to commit myself to him that judgeth righteously. God didn't put me in this position of the pastor. And so you know what? Yeah, Pastor Tommy, he really got on my case and he was wrong. But you know what? I'll let God deal with him. And you know what? That's the same thing too that kids all do with parents. Parents aren't perfect either. Sometimes parents get things wrong. But you know what we've got to do? We've got to learn to learn our place and we've got to trust and commit ourselves to Him that judgeth, judgeth righteously. That's what Jesus Christ did. And we're supposed to follow His steps. And you know what? Sometimes, I, I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else before, how many in here before... You ever thought you were right and you were wrong? Alright, and I know that's a stupid question, right? There, isn't it? I mean, has anybody ever fought for what you knew was wrong? <laughs> I mean, we don't do that, do we? Why do we fight for something? Because we think it's right. But sometimes we find out we were wrong. Okay? And just because you think you're right doesn't mean you are right. So sometimes, sometimes we're going to find ourselves in a position where you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm right. But the person in authority, the person who rebuked me, they think they're right too. So you know what you've got to do? Sometimes you just got to man up like hardly anybody in this generation does and say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. And if my pastor is wrong, if my parents wrong, if my boss at work is wrong, even if one of my peers or my equals or whatever is wrong, I'll let God deal with them. I'll let God change their mind. I'm just going to keep doing the right thing. You know what that, my friends, is called being a man. That's being a man right there if you can do that. But no, no, this pathetic generation we have, they're going to melt. It's amazing the things that people, I mean, they'll break friendships over. They'll lead churches over. I mean, just some of the most petty things. Why? Because they can't handle that somebody doesn't agree with them. Yeah, but, uh, but I was right. But I was, I, I was. So what? Jesus was right. And He didn't revile back. If he was able to do it, he said we're supposed to follow the steps, we ought to be able to do the same thing. I mean, here he is being beaten. He's being spit on. He's being cursed. I mean, have I ever spit on anybody in here? If I did, it was just when I was preaching. It was an accident, all right? I never spit on any of you all here. I never cussed any of you all. I haven't reviled anybody. And if you can't handle some of that, if you can't, there's going to be some times that you might, if, I, if, if I'm wrong, you just need to walk away and say, you know what, Lord, I'm convinced that Pastor Tommy's wrong. If I'm wrong, Lord, show it to me. But Lord, if he's wrong, you're the real head of this church. You're the chief shepherd. Hey, if you can move the heart of a king, you can move his heart for sure. And you know what, Lord? I'm just going to leave this one on you. That, my friends, shows real faith right there. That shows a real man. Last verse, we'll look at Proverbs 24, verse uh, 24. It says, He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him, but to them that rebuke him shall be delight, and a good blessing shall come upon them. You know what? We should, we should love those who rebuke us, and ultimately, in the end, we will love those who rebuke us. You, want to, you don't want to know the kids who hate their parents? It's the ones whose parents never disciplined them. 
It's the ones who let them do whatever they wanted to. Now, there was a few times when I was a kid where I kind of felt like at that moment I hated my parents. But you know what? Now, I thank God they beat the tar out of me. I thank God that, you know, and I know apparently like to be a millennial, they say, I think I've heard like 1981. To, I forgot what year. I was born in 1980. All right. So maybe that's why I'm not a millennial. All right. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's more uh, not so much the year you're born, but how you were raised. And I was I was raised in a home where I got rebuked constantly. I got trained. I got corrected. I got beat with a rod. I got beat with a belt. I got beat with a brush. I got beat with a hand. I got beat with a paddle. I mean, I, I got beat. I mean, my parents, not only did they obey the Bible, I mean, they added to it and, you know, did a whole bunch of extra, uh, you know, a bunch of bonus. And you know what? I love them for it. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. And there's a lot of other people my age today who don't love their parents and their parents didn't correct them. They didn't spank them. And now they got to live a miserable existence because they grew up to be a sorry excuse for a person because they never were rebuked. They were never corrected. And thank God for those who will rebuke us. In Revelation 3.15, I'm not going to turn there, but when Jesus, He's getting on to the church in Laodicea there, He's kind of chewing them out. He's letting them have it. And you know what He says in verse 19? He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know what Jesus said after He went and He chewed them out? You know what Jesus said after He told them, Hey, I will, you are cold or hot, but because thou art cold or hot and art lukewarm, He said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know what He said? You make me sick. You make me want to throw up. I think, man, well, that's, that's not very nice. But you know what Jesus said? Hey, this is how I talk to people that I love. Those I love, I rebuke and I chasten. When Jesus told the church, you make me sick, He did that out of love. And these, pa- these pastors of heaven say, you all make me sick, they love you. The Joel Osteens, you all are so precious. You all, I, I love you all so much. You're so good. They, they hate you. They're bad for you. Thank God for those that will let you have it and that will chew you out And you know what? We cannot continue to raise a generation like the one we have today that can't handle anything. Parents, dads especially, this is up to you, man. You got to train your boys in this. You need to teach them how to handle rebuke. And you know what? Not sometimes even from another adult. You know that's another subject. But you know, one of these days they're going to have a loss somewhere, and he's going to rebuke them. He's going to chew them out, and they're not going to be able to go run into mommy. And mommy. I, don't know, I, I do know some mommies that have gone and chewed out bosses before. And that always makes the guy really look bad when that happens. That is not good. Moms, I don't care how much you love your little boy, if his boss ever chews him out and, you know, writes him up, please don't call him up and chew him out. All right? You will destroy your son by doing that. You're going to have to do the hard thing and you're just going to, you know, just give him a big hug when he gets home. <laughs> but but, uh, but we, we need this. We, we, need, we need rebuke. It is a good thing. We've got to have men. Real men. Our nation is in desperate need of it. And I pray that here we will at least raise up a group of men that know how to handle this type of thing and, and, and take it for what it really is. And when you hear my insults, and I like to get creative with the insults and things sometimes, you know, don't, don't go home and cry about that. You know what? Go home and praise the Lord. Man, we got called all kinds of things today. You know, we got called knuckleheads, morons, idiots. You know what I mean? Just, I mean, you know, you'll keep track of all the things you got rebuked for and then go home and praise the Lord for it. Alright? We need those things. And so, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that You do 
uh, rebuke us and you chasten us. And thank God for parents who will do the same thing with their children. Thank God for pastors who will do that. Thank God for friends who will do it to their friends. And I pray that we will surround ourselves with people who will make us better and that will tell us what we need to hear. And I pray a bless each one for it. In your name we pray. Amen.